That's good to see you guys. Hope you guys have had a, an amazing holiday so far and just this season. It's been really special. And uh, if this is your first time with us, I just want to thank you for being here. Uh, it, it's a season where a lot of people are, are traveling, some coming into town, some uh, leaving town. And so it's just good to have you here with us. And just to celebrate, this season has just been, Advent literally means, it, it just means anticipating. It means kind of leading up to this. And, and we've made Christmas so many things just in commercializing it, and, uh, and we have fun with those things, you know, but uh, just the depth of what it means to just celebrate Jesus. We've just been really anticipating and contemplating this at really a, a deeper level, uh, c- contemplating our calling and our purpose in this world as we looked at the life of Mary and Joseph and their lives and their calling, just kind of the depths of some of these things that we just kind of casually say, like peace and joy in this season. We really looked at the depths of peace and joy and how those are just monumental in our lives. And uh, last week, we kind of took this journey with the Magi, these wise men, that uh, it was more than a physical journey from one place to bring some physical gifts, but there was a spiritual journey that was taking place. And that's kind of what we've, where we've been this month. So this is your first time. That's just a brief catch-up. And today, not ketchup or mustard, but like to catch you up. You get get what I'm saying? Um, And so today, we're going to really kind of wrap this up and just have just a moment of celebration. And we've looked at a lot of characters, if you will. I don't like to call them characters because they were people. Um, But but we looked at at Mary and Joseph and their lives. We've looked at the shepherds and their experience. We looked at the the magi, these wise men from the east. Kind of looked at their experience. And today, we're just going to kind of strip all the other kind of characters away, the other people in this story, and just focus on the Christ child. Just focus on the Christ child and just kind of talk about uh, Jesus. That's my kid, so if you get mad, it's, <laughs> it's my kid. So I uh, just want to say I'm, I'm really glad to have my dad and my brother in the house with us today. Um, so, yeah, you don't have to give them applause because you probably don't know them, but I'll give them applause. I'm, I'm happy they're here, so... Uh, my mom's actually here too. She's home with Beckett. He's got a, a contagious virus, so you're, you're welcome that he's not spreading all over you. Uh, so it's it's funny. 2013 is almost over, and so a lot of people start thinking about New Year's resolutions, losing weight. But it's kind of one of those seasons of the last month. Uh, you, you start seeing l- certain lists come out. They like give the nominations for the Golden Globes. Some of you guys are really interested in TV and movies, and so like that came out. And uh, Time Magazine. Uh, has this thing, it's called the, the Most influ- Influential People of 2013. They put it out every year in December. And uh, you'll probably recognize a lot of the names on the list. Um, you know, people like um, Edward Snowden, you know, kind of influential guy this year, kind of changed a lot of things. You, uh, Obama, Kim Jong-un, some kind of names that we, we saw. Jay-Z, maybe relating to some of you. Um, Christine Aguilar, a lot of these names that have influenced our culture in whatever way, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, they've influenced our culture in, in some way. And I think it's so interesting that we've kind of wrapped Advent in this idea of influence. And most importantly, just the influence that Jesus has had on this world. And I think it's a fantastic place for us to begin today as we just focus on the Christ child. That I, I think it's really hard to argue in our entire world, in our entire history, that anyone has had a greater influence on the world than Jesus Christ. Even if you're not a believer, even if you don't even believe in God, I think it's very hard for you to make an argument that anyone has made, not, not, in our, not America, but the entire world. I mean, there's 6.8 or 6.9 billion people in the world, 2.18, 2.19, something like that, of them are Christians. So nearly a third of people in the entire world 
would, you know, kind of fall under the umbrella of Christendom, and, and we would both probably say, well, probably all those aren't Christians. I don't know if they actually have a relationship. I don't know if they're actually practicing, and so our work is kind of cut out for us uh, as believers to kind of, you know, live that. So I think we would probably all agree on that, but still, they fall under this blanket of influence in which Jesus has literally impacted the world. I mean, you look at time itself, that how we know it, how we count it. It's 2013 going to 2014. At some point, a guy kind of picked the date of the birth of Christ as like, we should start, this is a big deal. So we should kind of start making everything around this calendar. And we talked about that last week or the week before, that even that was a little bit off. The guy just kind of, you know, his math wasn't quite right, and so they fixed it kind of later, and we can kind of know that now, but his influence even on time itself is how we count it. B.C. is before Christ. I mean, it's really where we begin to kind of split this, really our life and and, and time and how we count it. And then you look at at the book, the Bible, that uh, it it became from the law and it became the New Testament, and and it's the most distributed book in the entire world. They can't even put it on their list. You know how New York Times, but they can't even put it on their list because there's so many distributors and it's distributed so much, it's literally impossible to keep up with how many Bibles are around the world, how many have been distributed. It's easy to find out Harry Potter comes from one distributor, you know, one per. The Bible has been around for, you know, centuries now, and it's incredible the impact that it's had on the world. And if we just kind of strip away all those kind of physical things, those other things, let's just talk about this room for a minute, the influence that I can just say personally that Jesus has had on my life is, is monumental. I don't even care about any of those things. All I can really just lock into is the impact that he's had on my life, the influence. And I know many of you, most of you would say the same exact thing, the incredible influence that he's had. So I, I don't think anyone's ever influenced the world in a way that Jesus Christ has. And so I just want to strip that back today to this thing that Jesus is this influence in our life. And I want to go through Luke chapter 2. Um, we've kind of, again, been bouncing around. And we're going to just hone in on one verse and then two or three words out of that one verse, okay? So let's go to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And uh, we'll just kind of do a straight reading and, uh, and then come back to verse 11. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and line of David, just kind of how things work. He went there to register with Mary. He was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Do we have verse 12 in there? Yeah. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Let's go back to verse 11. And I just want to digest this because I think we've got to talk about the nature of this Christ child for a second. And I think it's... Many times we can think, okay, Jesus' life started right here, but um, John... Um, the, the Gospel of John tells us really that Jesus, this wasn't kind of his start. This was, 
a continuing physical presence on this earth. But this wasn't Christ. This wasn't Jesus' beginning, as we often say, birth of Jesus. Birth into the world, but it's deeper than that. John 1.1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, in fact, God. This, and John uses this word, this Greek word logos, logos, uh, is how we would look at it. And uh, it really means speak or, or like speech. Um, and, and this is literally how God spoke into the world. And so John uses this idea of word. And so if you go to John 1.1, 1, 1, you'll see the word word, W-O-R-D, capitalized. And you'll be like, word. You might not know what's happening. John referred to Jesus as the, as the logos, the way in which God spoke into the world in this physical presence. You move from verse 1 to verse 14, and we see that uh, uh, this powerful verse that said Christ uh, came in in flesh and made his dwelling among us. He came and made his dwelling among us. The word came and made his dwelling among us. And he came in full of grace and full of truth. And so we talk about his nature. It was eternally existing. And the fact that God had patterned the world after Christ. In, this word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God. In the beginning was Jesus, if we can do that, his physical name, was the son. Um, and he was God, and he was with God. That's where we see not only was he eternally existing, but he was, he was God in himself. And, and so the Trinity can be a large conversation, but I always break it down really simple um, we break things down like uh, uh, time, for, for example. We talked about that. Past, present, future. It's all time, but they have separate distinctions in that. We think about matter. Kind of all these kind of elements of our life are broken down into to what? Gas, solid, liquid. Some of you will add plasma. You know, you scientists out there. Um, you know, it's these three things. And so they're all matter, but they have these different essence, these different personal characteristics that make them up. It's liquid. It can run. Gas, you really can't see it. There's these different elements, and so that's kind of the trinity in like 45 seconds. And so I want to, but we've got to know that, that, that Jesus has eternally existed with the Father, and, and, and God is now revealing himself at a whole other level. He made his dwelling among us, and he's full of grace, and he's full of truth. That's what scripture says. So let's go to verse 11 here. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I want to break down this, this word Savior. I want to break down Messiah and Lord. Just these three things that he kind of, the angel claims here about who is being born in, in um, this town of David in Bethlehem. So look at this word Savior. And it's an ancient word in, in the Greek text that um, the Greeks would use to describe deity. But the roots of this word um, is the... the the word is uh, soter, is the, I, I say it with like a Spanish accent because that's all I know, so sorry about that. But savior is the Greek word soter, and it means deity. But the, the root of that word is a Greek word sozo or suzo, and it means literally to save. And so the action of the, the noun is save. That's where he's a savior. And so he's a God who saves. And so in his very nature, not only is he full of grace, eternally existing, full of truth, but he is a God who saves. And I think this is where we've got to start when it comes to the nature of God because many of us have a very different picture of God. But God in his choice to reveal himself in flesh and blood sent not someone to be really critical and judgmental, but a savior. A savior. And so that's the nature 
of the God. But I, I think we've also got to really wrap our minds around the need for a Savior because I think in our culture, the greatest spiritual disease that we have is not legalism, which has really hurt a lot of people in the house, you know, where we've made it about the laws and the rules, which has really pushed a lot of people away from the church, especially in America, especially in the South, especially in Jacksonville. So that, we'll look at that as like our, 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 our fiercest, especially in South Jacksonville, do I need to, especially in this room, I just know, I've been around enough people, and we've, we've been there, and we've done that, many of us, okay? And, and so I don't think that's our worst spiritual disease. I think our, our worst spiritual de- disease is that good, like this good enough disease. And that, this idea that, look, I don't kill, I don't steal, and like, I, I don't break all the commandments, and so I'm not as bad as that guy, or I'm not as bad as that girl. So this idea that I'm good enough, because that's more dangerous than legalism. Legalism hurts, but you may survive that, but you won't, you're not going to survive the good enough disease. Okay, um, and it, the good news is that it's curable, okay? And I, I think um, one of the prophets and I think w- one of the teachers in the New Testament really give us a picture. Isaiah 64, 6 says that, look, we've become like ones who are just unclean, like we're filthy. And, and, and even on our best day, our righteousness is but filthy rags. I, I, I use that text a lot because a lot of times we think we're good enough, but really in our best day where we're thinking right and we're doing right, we're still filthy, and so it's not only the nature of, of the Savior, but we really need to wrap our brains around this idea of the need for a Savior. And so we're, it's filthy. Like, we're filthy. We're not good enough, even on our best day. I, I love the way Paul said it. It's like, look, because he's dealing with Jewish people who have been all about, you know, laws and rule keeping and been the best at it. And they've compared themselves to keeping the rules. And it just hasn't brought life. It's just brought death. And, and, and so I love how he puts it in Romans 3.23 that says, look, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We were just singing about his glory just a second ago. We've all fallen short. Every last one of this, forget your phylacteries where, where you, you tie them to your arm and your head and you think you're better than everybody else because you've memorized more laws. Every single last one of us, it is even at the foot of the cross that we are desperate, in desperate need in our depravity and in our life, the need for a savior. This really resonated with me. I was doing um, uh, just my personal study. I try to make sure I, I separate my personal study and from my biblical study when I'm, I'm, I'm to teach. And so sometimes they're blended, sometimes they're different. This, this week it was very different. And I was just working through Romans, just, you know, the book of Romans, a letter from Paul to the Roman church. And I'm working through that and I'm kind of clicking through. And you remember at Thanksgiving where you start eating really fast because you're so excited? And then you're like, okay, I need to slow down. <laughs> I'm just too excited about eating this food right now. Okay, so that's what I was kind of do. I was just kind of just trucking through Romans. And I got to Romans chapter 5, and I just had to like take a deep breath and slow down, or I was going to just vomit maybe <laughs> spiritually. I don't know if that's possible to spiritually vomit. But um, that's kind of what I felt like. I'm like. I need to slow down and digest this a little bit slower. And so I got to Romans 5, and it begins to talk about suffering. And that suffering, you should really rejoice in it because it produces perseverance. And you, should, you can rejoice in that perseverance because it produces character, and that character produces hope. And so if you're in this place and you're going through suffering, it's hard to see hope. Don't worry about hope. Just think about perseverance right now. And if you're kind of persevering through something, don't think about Just kind of connect to the fact that your character is being built and that character is going to produce hope. So it's this process in which we go through in our suffering. And so right after that, verse Six, it, it, it really just resonated with me because it says that Jesus didn't come. He, in his birth, in his death, he didn't come for the righteous. He didn't come for the righteous. 
Like, if, we, if you had to save someone, you could give your life for someone. Like, just go ahead. In your head, who would you pick? You know, desert island, one of you is going to survive, one of you. Who, you know, who's going, who are you going to save? We really think somebody that's really deserving. We really would. We, we would think of, you know, maybe somebody, with a, a young child with a terminal illness is maybe where a heart would go to. I don't know who you'd go to, a family member, a, fr- a friend, whatever. But, but Jesus says, I didn't come for the righteous. I, I came for the unrighteous, the ungodly. And I think that we've got to assess our, our need for the Savior in that, look, Without Jesus, like, we're not on the righteous side. He is our righteousness, but in our own. He, but that's why he came here. That's why he came here. So the nature and the need of God is a Savior, a God who saves, to be here with us and, and to experience this. I, I love um, what happens in, in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Uh, there's a woman that comes up to Jesus and, and begins to pour perfume all over his feet, really expensive. And uh, she was a sinful woman, kind of had a history, small town, everybody knows what's going on. So there's all these Pharisees, these priests and stuff around, and, and, uh, and they're like, man, Jesus, and they're kind of whispering to themselves, mumbling to themselves. You ever do that about somebody? Um, he's kind of mumbling to himself. He's like, if he even knew, like, who is washing his feet, like, he wouldn't let this happen. Like, he apparently doesn't know Jesus is caught up in his own spiritual world. He doesn't he doesn't know who's washing his feet. And, and Jesus kind of puts it really plainly. So let me give us a modern day parable of what Jesus said here. He's like, look, two men owe a, a debt. One of them owes a million dollars. One of them owes $100,000. He breaks it down. He says, who do you think uh, is more grateful when their debt's canceled? Well, he's like the guy who needs, you know, a million dollars to cover his debt. And he said, basically, that's exactly what he's saying. This is, he, he said, the greater we realize the need for a Savior, I really believe that's the closer we get to Jesus, when we, that need. And so understanding the, the depth of the nature and the need for a Savior, I think, is the first step for us. But it goes further here in verse 11, and uh, it says the word Messiah. Messiah. And, and we've talked a little bit about Messianic prophecy, but it's that there would be a Redeemer. And, and we, we can, as, as Christians, as those that are seekers in this room, we can immediately kind of put that to um, our, our Christian understanding, oh, he redeemed us of our sins. Yeah, but like that's not where the Jewish people were. Um, they, they had been in slavery for a lot of their history. They had been exiled. Their, their city has been burnt down. They had a, a kind of a rough history. They had been disobedient. They had all these prophets. There was one prophet who ran around for two years trying to get the message to people to be faithful to God. He's like, what do I got to do to get the message to you except run around in the nude? So I'm not going to do that. But um, he did. Um, I think God told him to do that, which is crazy. But um, anyway, neither here nor there. Um, this idea of Messiah it was a long-awaited one, and they wanted somebody that was in the model of David. And so you see all these prophecies, all these looking ahead, not for a baby that was going to be born in a stable to a virgin, but to this kind of Davidic model of a, a leader. And so they saw what, with their eyes, and that's many times where we're at when we're looking um, at a Savior. It, it's just what we see with our eyes, but God wants to do something on the inside. It's, a, it's about the, the spirit. And, and so that Christ would come in his humility and faithfulness is extremely powerful. Um, and, and so this idea of Messiah is kind of wrapped much bigger. And so he's saying he's not just a savior, but he is he's the savior. He's the one that you've waited for. 
And, I, and that's why I think a lot of Jews had trouble believing. And even still today, they have trouble believing because he didn't look like they thought he would look. But we've still got to be open for it. And, and there comes a time when, in every single one of our lives where it doesn't even matter where it comes from, you know? It doesn't even matter. When, when you're that desperate, when you realize that need for the Savior, it doesn't even matter where it comes from. You'll take it wherever it will come from. I think we see that in, in the homeless population. As they get more and more desperate, they'll do anything. Like you, you probably wouldn't go digging through the trash, but there's a lot of people out there, that's how they survive. And I'm not saying your, your standards lower, but your, your desperation for substance grows. Some of you may be in the house today desperate for not just a Savior, but the Savior, the Messiah, the Redeemer. And so he, he's, he's kind of telling a story about the nature and the need for not just a Christ, but but the Christ. And that's what we find is incredible influence. And the, and the last thing that he says here is, is the word Lord. This word Lord shows up. And, and some of you have said, yes, I, I committed my life to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Here it's Savior, Messiah, Lord. But I, I think, I don't know that we've ever really unwrapped that of what it really looks like for him to not just be the, the Savior, but the Lord. And I think the Savior is a little bit easier than the Lord part is for us. Just as believers, um, I think we, we're okay with being saved, but we're not sure about this whole Lord thing, of him really having reign and rule of our life, because the word here is kurios, is the, is the Greek word, and it, it means to, to, to save. It, it means to, to bring into his own fold, to take account for, like to watch over, to, like to lord over, almost like in a, a term of a master that would watch over. And we have immediate negative reaction to that, I think, because no one's going to, we just have this idea in America, we're going to do it ourselves, nobody's going to tell me what to do. But this idea of, of, of who, with the invitation of the Savior, is also the devotion to the Savior. And, and so we can't have one without the other. And, and, and there became um, some really, let me do this, great revivals in Africa um, in the 90s, um, where Africans were just being saved. I mean, it was incredible, just thousands of them, but they were being saved with a, a, a really a soulless gospel. It, it was really a false gospel. It was that, hey, your people are being murdered. Would you like to go to heaven? Say yes now. Um, and they're like, yeah, I would like to go to heaven. It's better than alternative from what I hear. And so they kind of convinced them of this. They'd say yes, but it, it was a gospel cut off from the head, and it was cut off from really him being Lord and Savior. So what began to happen is one clan, one town against the other, they would murder each other. And they were churches. The churches were murdering each other. So that's what, I mean, that's kind of an intense example. But that's what can happen if we take one and not the other. If he's just Savior for us, but we've not allowed him to be Lord. And so both of these are, are in, have enormous impact. I mean, and so again, I get that's a very... Intense example. I get it. I don't plan on anybody starting to do anything like that. But I think we, there's, there's ramifications still for this. There's still train wrecks in our life when we don't allow him to be Lord and we just want a Savior for the moment. And some of us, that, that may be why we feel like we do. That may be why we're in the middle of suffering is to get some perseverance and character and get the heart of the gospel and who Jesus really wants to be in our life. And so uh, one of the most powerful texts in my personal journey has been Galatians 2.20 that said, I, I've died. I've died. It's not even me who lives anymore. It's just Christ 
living through me. And Paul begins to do this, this kind of phrase about dying to self. This has become like a Christian cliche in, in some ways, but dying to self and crucifying that flesh. And I think that's what it takes to really have God, that your devotion towards him and Lord. And it comes back to the, the elemental kind of principle of our, I hate to call it a religion usually, but of our religion and it's the word faith, because we don't even see it as a religion. It says faith. That's the gospel in and of itself. It's faith in grace. And maybe that's where some of us are at. It's just pulling us to a place of faith. Is, am I willing not to just get the invitation, but to, to have devotion in my response? And what that looks like is, is costly. It seems costly at first. And I, I think as Jesus you know, took on um, disciples, he, he took on 10, you know, 10 or 12, uh, 10 or 12, and, and, you know, one of them ends up dropping out of the race, you know, so to speak, and uh, they, they get another one on board, and, and then it, it, it moves to 70, and so you see this sphere of influence, but what he always told them was, come, follow me. There's an invitation, and there was a, they had to leave everything behind. There was a, a devotion that had to follow the invitation, and some of us, our Christianity has looked like devotion, invitation. Okay, you figured it out, now you're welcome. But it's invitation and it's devotion. I think one particular text is going to clarify this for us as we talk about the influence that Christ has on us and our influence as a stable influence in our community, in our families, in our own personal lives. I think First John 4 is one of my favorite passages. First John 4, verse 7 through 19 and it's a, it's a deep one here, and uh, we'll just let this resound with us, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this ship down for landing. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, do you feel like this is repetitious at all? I love it that it's, it's almost seems repetitious, but he keeps adding another layer to it. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. I, I love how, you know, we think that Jesus touched millions, and he did, but in the physical sense, he, he touched kind of a few. In the grand scheme of the six point whatever billion that's on the earth today, it was much smaller back then. But it's kind of a small number, but this influence is not just about, about what Christ can do, but it's about what Christ can do through us. God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It's like without us in this element, his love, scripture says, is incomplete. It almost feels a little bit heretical when you say that, right? I mean, we've got to wrap our brain around that and I think there's truth and truth. It's not like a pick somewhere in between. It's a truth and it's a truth. God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit, his comforter to be with us. 
Emmanuel, God with us. He is with us. I, I, I lo- let me save that. Verse 14. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. It's the same word here. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God he has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. It sounds like a Dr. Seuss thing at parts in this. This is how love is made complete among us. So he's going to break down what he just said a minute ago. That's how it's made complete among us. That we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Again, it almost feels heretical what he's saying here. We're like Jesus. Yeah, but we're not. You know, we don't almost kind of like give the, the but, yeah, but, but he said, we're like Jesus, and he, he's expounding on this even further. Verse 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And verse 19, finally, we love because he first loved us. I love this idea. He's with us in this idea that fear and, and perf- perfect love, casting out fear. Because every, almost every single time it shows up in Scripture in which someone's afraid, which happens a lot, if there's an emotion besides love that shows up in Scripture as much, I would say it's fear. It's like these are always at odds with one another. And almost every time when God speaks to someone who is afraid, he, he gives reason for why not to be afraid. And, and a high, high majority in the 90 percentile of why to not be afraid, he said, because I'll be with you. Don't be afraid, because I'm going to be with you. It's not because you're going to figure things out, people are going to come beside you. He's like, I'm going to be with you. Emmanuel, God with us. Not just as Christ, not just as Savior, not in that nature, but that he's Lord. And for some of us, we may just be in a place where we're just desperate for the Savior. Some, some of us, we really need to make that move to where he's really our Lord. He's not just his, our Lord in word, but he's our, word, our Lord in deed. And the invitation is followed by devotion. That we're willing to, to give up the things that we think will fulfill. To respond in love. We love because he first loved us. I heard the story long time ago. Uh, this is cute um, and, and extremely powerful, uh, kind of around the Christmas time. And it was this uh, a church that was putting on a Christmas play, and everybody kind of had their parts and stuff. And uh, there's a little boy named Timmy. Um, Timmy had had some physical challenges in his life, um, some disabilities that had, you know, his, his development was different than other kids, and and. Uh, Everybody loved him, and he had a place, but he kind of got on the board late. They already kind of filled all the spots, and Timmy wanted to be in the play. And it's one of these heart-wrenching things. If you're in charge of the play, it's like, okay, we got to figure out a place for Timmy. Like, I want Timmy to be in the play. I want him to be a part. And so they're trying to figure out a, a place, and they, they, they think, oh, well, we don't have an innkeeper. Many of you know the story that, you know, that happens. They, they come looking for a bed to lay because the census, many people were in town so a lot of the guest rooms were filled up. And so um, they, they say, Timmy, you can, be, you can be the innkeeper. And so his, his line was simple. I mean, it was, sorry, there's no room in the inn. So he was waiting. He was waiting in the inn. 
And when it was time, they were knocking on the door. Mary Joseph for the baby came. And, and uh, his line, he, he practiced it and practiced it. One line. I mean, you can just see this obsession this kid probably had with just saying, there's no room in the inn. And it came time, the night of the performance, just one big performance. And they come, they knock on the door, and Timmy's so excited, man. And he, he opens the door, and he says, there's no room in the inn, but you can have my room. And this idea of sacrifice and dying to self, I think is revealed in a small child that says, you can have mine. And I think this whole idea of not him just being Savior, him being Lord, is revealed in this little boy, in this Christ child, the Messiah, who says love, not because you're like making it up or you're figuring things out, but love because I have loved you. And that's not meant to, to stir emotions, but it's to bring light to the truth. That bringing Christ to the forefront, self-sacrifice, and letting him be the Lord of our life. We'll all head our different ways today and this week. Some out of town, some to family, some just chilling at home, um, just keeping it a simple holiday. And uh, we'll all kind of go in different directions. And even this morning, our brains, our hearts are probably in many different places. But I would just ask you, like, is he, is he really your Savior? What did he save you from? Hell, okay, I understand that. Hey, we know that he saved us from hell. Like, that's, that's where I belong if it's not for Christ. Now, what did he save you from? I mean, from your addiction, from your depression, from your lust, from your greed? What did he save you from? Or do we still have that good enough disease? And some of us just need to make the transition. And, and don't just come, but follow him. Don't just receive the invitation, but follow him. Let him be Lord. It means dying to self. It means like, God, I can make a lot of excuses. I can follow through the patterns of the world, as Timmy would probably say is, I can go with my lines, but I'd rather love because he first loved me. And so I want us to just seek God in these next few moments and just experience his love for us, his love for us above all else, and just let that love fill our lives. Let's pray together. God, help us to encounter, God, all this. Help us to celebrate. Help us to not just be burdened down with deep spiritual questions, which is fantastic, but God, help us to, in this season, in this day, just celebrate the saving grace, celebrate the Lord who watches over us, God, that we are in his fold and who has redefined what it means to be a Lord, redefined what it means to be a, a master. God, help us to know what it means to, to see our own depravity and to to sacrifice ourselves, God, that we, we somehow in turn would be like Jesus in this world and make an impact, even if it's through a small dozen. God, I pray that that dozen would reach the 70, the 70 would change the world. Help us to be used of you, God. Help us to be obedient. Christ's holy name. Let's stand together today and let's worship.
seek the Savior and Lord today?